Well, um, <clears throat> Kent, as probably most of you know, is uh, working, wanted the month off from the pulpit so that he could uh, work on his doctorate. And uh, so the, he asked me to, to fill in for him while he did that, and I'm happy to do that. Um, before I get started, I just want to point out that my good friend Leland Dollar back there, stand up a minute, Leland. You didn't know I was going to do this. Just wanted to embarrass you. He, uh, he and I, sit down. He and I uh, were in high school. <laughs> we were in high school together. And then later we went to uh, Sunset Bible Institute together. And we did a lot of other things together that I'm not permitted to talk about. But uh, anyway, if you get a chance to say hi to him, say hi. Uh, he will enjoy that. Um, Kent felt that it would be appropriate since we are uh, honoring uh, three of our elders who have stepped down that I preach about this and I agreed with him that that would be a good thing to do. So that's what I'm going to talk about uh, this morning. Um, I don't know if any of you have heard of the name Dan Huxley, but uh, he owns the world's record in an unusual category. Uh, he pulls airplanes. And uh, the most remarkable thing happened on October 15, 1997, when he broke his own record in pulling airplanes. And on that day, uh, at the Mascot Airport in Sydney, Australia, he strapped a harness on uh, around his upper body. He attached one end of the steel cable to the harness and the other end uh, to the front wheel strut of a 187 ton 747 uh, jetliner. And with his tennis shoes on, he, 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 he leaned into that strap and he began to pull and tug and struggle and pull and, and, and work and just, I mean, you would think that, and, and suddenly, after a minute, that plane moved. And he pulled a 747 100 yards in less than two minutes. Uh, that's an unbelievable thing. Uh, and it's just amazing that, uh, and, it, and it takes some kind of super, I can't remember the last time I did that. I mean, <laughs> it takes really a super, of course, with my weight now, I could probably just lean into it and it'd move. But anyway, uh, it, it takes superhuman strength and effort and willpower to move something uh, that large. You know, I use that illustration because in no less uh, of a way, it takes a superhuman effort to move a church. I mean, and I speak about this from knowledge and not just theory. Uh, I have worked with this church, and I, it's not just this church, but I've talked with many ministers, many elders over the years, and all churches are, are basically the same in that if you want to accomplish good things in a church, they don't just happen. It takes effort. It takes strength. It takes power. Uh, the, uh, a church is very much like a 747. 
but it takes superhuman strength and effort to move it. Um, and if you want to move a church in a way that fulfills God's will, it's, it's not easy. Because each, the church is made up of individuals. Each one of you individually makes up the church. Now, each one of you individually has your own willpower. And each one of us individually have been affected by sin. And so much, much of the time, our willpower is affected by sin. And for, for us to then move in a godly direction as a church, as a group of people, takes a tremendous amount of strength exerted by uh, a few extraordinary men, and that is our elders. Uh, and uh, this, uh, this uh, today, we're going to, after church, we're going to have a luncheon to celebrate three of our elders who have just recently stepped down. But I want to also honor our existing elders. I'd like for our existing elders to just stand up. In case you're visiting with us and you don't know who they are, uh, you can see. Uh, okay, we've got three of them here. Three of them are here. Two are gone. Okay, we have five elders now. And you can sit down now. And <laughs> well, you let somebody stand up for a minute and they, you know. Anyway. Uh, but anyway, um, the three men who are, who are stepping down are Dale Long. I'd like for you guys to stand up now. I know, I know, it's a pain. Dale Long, uh, Lynn Martin, and Henry Cooper. And uh, we've, we've served under their leadership uh, for many years. Um, you can sit down, Henry. That's <laughs> See, I told you it's like pulling a 747 when you try to get <laughs> But uh, these men have done just a great job, and I'm, and I'm honored to be able to speak uh, this lesson today because I served under these men a lot of years. And the one I served under the longest is Dale Long. Dale, uh, Dale was given the responsibility 35 years ago uh, when I first came to this church, and I worked with the church for about a year, and uh, the, the then existing pulpit minister was leaving, and uh, Dale was given the responsibility to ask me to invite me to take the pulpit position. And he invited Becky and I over to their house, and uh, Becky and me over to their house, and we, he fixed hamburgers. And they were pretty good hamburgers, too. I was impressed with that. And that's where he asked me if I would be willing to serve as the pulpit minister uh, here at Northwest. Dale and I have continued to be very good, uh, close friends. He has been a confidant to me, uh, a leader uh, over the years to me. Uh, I remember one time when I was a new pulpit minister, and I, I had never served as a pulpit minister in the United States before, so I didn't know how things were supposed to go. And I remember that we would have elders meetings and, and they wore me out. They were talking about, you know, everything about running the church. 
And I kept harping at them, you know, that this is not what elders are supposed to be about. I would say elders are supposed to be about praying for the church and not about business meetings. And, and uh, I shot my mouth off when I said, I will, I will meet with any of you anytime and, and, and devote our time in prayer together. Just, just let me know when, you, when you're ready. Adele says, all right, I'll meet with you. I said, fantastic. We'll get together and we'll pray together. And, and I said, when do you want to do that? And he says, 6 o'clock in the morning, every day, Monday through Friday. <coughs> I thought, oh, my gosh, what did I get myself into? Well, we did that for a year, didn't we, Dale? For one year, we met together. Six o'clock in the morning, Monday through Friday, and prayed together for this church. And I have to give a great deal of credit to the elders. Uh, elderships back in those days were not, they were more uh, a board of directors, not just this eldership, but the churches that I visited. Elders were very much a board of directors, and they might have one prayer uh, to get their meetings going, uh, but this eldership, began to meet one day a week just for prayer. Amen. Just to pray for this church. And it, was not an, it wasn't a, a business meeting. It was a prayer meeting. And I can remember, and, and Dale and Lynn, I'm sure you can remember, and I don't know if we were doing it when you came in, Henry, but we would get down on our knees. Were you part, and we'd get the cushions. You know, we're old. We had to get the cushions off the chairs and put them on the floor and get on our knees and spend an hour or two in prayer for this church. What a, what a wonderful thing. And, and Dale was a very big part of that, a man of prayer. Uh, and I honor him, and, and, and I love him greatly and feel honored just to have been able to serve under him. Um, and and uh, Lynn, I remember Lynn Martin. Uh, boy, I tell you what, Lynn is a gentle person, isn't he? Those of you who know him, he's just a very gentle, sweet, kind, soft-spoken. Where are you, Lynn? I don't see you. Did you skip out? Oh, there you are. Okay. But he's just a, he's just a nice, sweet man. But I tell you what, he, ha he uh, uh, looks like a lamb, and, but he, I, I guarantee you he's got a lion's heart. Uh, I remember uh, one time this church entered into a, a period of trial. We had a couple of members who were stirring up some discord in the congregation, and they'd been going on for a while. And the elders, finally, they decided that something had to be done about it. And the, the reason they didn't really want to do anything about it is because one of these men had made it pretty clear that he would sue the church you remember that, Bill? He said he would sue the church if we tried to do anything uh, to discipline him. And, uh, but the elders, and we may have been down to two elders, just you and Lynn at that time. I'm not, I can't remember for sure. But I remember when the time came, these two guys stepped forward and really, really showed uh, a heart of leadership. Their interest was not in, in punishing these guys but their heart was to try to restore them. Uh, they, they, biblically, they needed to be disciplined. 
and they had not been, and so the discipline went forward, and these guys stood in the gap, and they protected this church. And even to the point of there was threat of bodily harm. Did you hear that? There was threat on these guys of bodily harm, but they still stepped forward and did what needed to be done. And the end of the story was good. It turned out just like the Bible says, uh, the person was restored and the church was brought back to, to good order. But boy, you talk about, I was so impressed with that and with Lynn. He just impressed me so much. I've been reading a book uh, called uh, Hot Gate, uh, and, or Gates of Fire, written by a guy named Press, uh, Presson. And it's a story of the Battle of Thermopylae and where 300 Spartans went up against 2 million Persians. And they chose an area called Thermopylae. There was a hot springs. It was an area about 100 yards wide. And on one side was steep cliffs, and the other side dropped off into the sea. And so the Spartans stood in that gap, and the 2 million Persians came, but they could only channel so many Persian soldiers in there at a time. And the Spartans stood there and stood their ground, and... Over a period of three days, the Spartans killed 20,000 Persian warriors. And Xerxes, who, by the way, was the wife of Esther, (laughs) Xerxes, it said, leapt, leapt up, jumped up from his throne. He was observing from the tops of the cliffs for fear of his army because the the Spartans were so well-trained. But they stood in the gap. Their intention was not to win the war, but to give time for the rest of Greece to prepare for this huge invasion. And that's the way I view our elders. You, You don't know some, you just don't know what goes on behind the scenes. And they're not just businessmen. These are men who enter into prayer, they struggle, they strive, they, we're in a warfare. I, I don't know if you're aware of this, but we are in a warfare. The Bible says that our warfare is not against people, not against flesh and blood, but a bit against the spiritual forces of wickedness. And there's a huge army of spirit, evil spirit beings who want to destroy the individuals of this church and want to destroy this church. And what stops them are men like the elders and their wives who spend hours in prayer. And prayer power, you've heard term prayer cover, and that's really what it is. Prayer is the warfare against these spirit beings of evil. And so we've got a group of men, and their wives support them, and their wives go through a lot too, but we've got a group of men who spend time in prayer over this church, and I'm convinced that's why this church is still here. Because they, they're not all about just coming together and making uh, executive decisions about this church. They realize that, they, that we're in a warfare and that they are our Spartans who have stood out in front, stood in the gap, and have stopped the, the huge enemy that's poured out against us. And... Um, And then Henry Cooper, oh my goodness. Uh, Henry has proven 
Henry is a shepherd. I mean, Henry has a shepherd's heart. Uh, when I look at Henry, I think of a shepherd uh, because that's who he is. It's not what he does. It's who he is and how he acts uh, is coming from who he naturally is. I mean, who here doesn't know of Henry Cooper? I mean, Henry, it's interesting. A lot of times we'll have visitors that will come in, and I will, I will say, uh, and they've come, you know, three or four or five times, and I'll greet them, and I'll say, well, have, have you, do you, do you know our eldership? And they'll say, uh, well, yeah. You mean Henry? <laughs> and the point is, everybody meets Henry. Visitors meet Henry. Henry has been instrumental in bringing so many people into this church, and it's not because he goes out and, and, and tries to recruit. It's because they see that he cares. He cares about them. Henry, and it's not a show, it's not an act. Henry genuinely cares about people. And, and that's why I have seen numerous groups. I've seen in groups of people come into this church. Uh, we had a group of young people. They were young back then, Carrie. That y'all were young back then. This was, you know, what, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, 30, no, 20, okay. <laughs> but a group of young people came in as a group looking for a church, and Henry latched on to them and started a special class for them. And that caused these young people to, to really plug in here, and they're still attending here today. That shows the power that, that Henry's um, uh, shepherd-like heart has uh, in a church. That shows what a shepherd does. And the way I see an eldership, and I've been able to see this eldership over many years, and it goes through changes as some step out and some step in, the, an eldership is like a, is like a person, and it's made up of all these personalities. And you've got some elders who are keen in, in, uh, in decision-making. You have other shepherds who are keen in shepherding, and you have others who are keen in caregiving. And, and all of them combined come together and make the eldership makes it complete, and makes it whole. Um, so there you have it. These three men we're going to honor today uh, after years of service to this church, serving you, standing in the gap, protecting you from evil, uh, and uh, we're going to honor them as they step down. And, and that's to be expected. Uh, if, our, if our elders were just a board of directors, then, you know, we would expect them to serve until they get old and die. I mean, you know, that's not a hard thing to do. But if they are shepherding, then that's a difficult task. It, it's more than just coming together and making decisions. Uh, and and it, it, I don't, I've never made a hospital visit, and I'm not the greatest at hospital visits. Uh, but the times that I make hospital visits, multiple elders are there, way ahead of me. And after I leave, they're there. And many of them stay until the surgeries are over. 
and they'll call me and tell me how things turned out. Now, this is a good-sized group, about 300 people, and there's a lot of sicknesses, a lot of hospitals, a lot of care needs, and our elders do that. And so that in itself is, is wearing and difficult uh, on a, a person, and so we would expect uh, these men to, uh, to need the, the rest. Um, I want you to look at a text, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I didn't do a PowerPoint <clears throat> since I'm not uh, working for this church anymore. I'm not doing that. If, <laughs> if uh, that upsets you, then fire me. Um, no, I just didn't think to do it. It's better if it has a PowerPoint because then you're able to read it because I see many of you really don't open your Bibles. <clears throat> Let me read it, verse 23 to 28. And Paul speaks about the hardships he personally endured, uh, uh, and, and he says that, it's, that he had been in far more labors. He's comparing himself to others who claim to be apostles, but who aren't. And he's showing that his credentials are greater than their credentials, and he says that he was in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times, he says, I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Five times he'd been whipped by a cat of nine tails. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, and at that point, that time, as we read about where they stoned him, they thought he was dead. But he revived and got up and went back into the city. But he says, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep, in the ocean. I have been on frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen. Dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Tough stuff, huh? I mean, uh, how many of you can remember going through things like that. I mean, I can't, like I said, I can't remember the last time that I was stoned uh, by rocks and uh, beaten with whips and rods. I can't, I can't remember that because it never happened. And, and it's never happened to you. Tough stuff, imprisonments, beaten, times without number, in danger of death, being whipped by the Jews with 39 lashes, beaten by, by rods, stoned and left for dead, and on and on he goes. Tough stuff. That's, that's really hard stuff. But then he goes on and says that there was something much harder than all of that. Did you hear that? Something that's harder than being shipwrecked. Something that's harder than being whipped 39 times. Something harder than being beaten with rods. Something hard, harder than going hungry and starving. What is it? 
What could be harder than going through those things? He says, verse 28, And apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. And I refer to this because if a person is truly shepherding, as our elders do, it wears. It wears them down. Truly shepherding in prayer, constant prayer and concern for the church and going and visiting and helping people through their troubles and through their sicknesses and through their illnesses and spending time in prayer and the, the daily concern of the church wears them down. And so we would expect to see our elders after a period of time needing to step out. Needing a break. Needing some relief from all of the pressure. There's a passage that you can see in the bulletin that I've based, that I wanted to base this sermon on. It's in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. He says, the elders who rule well, I'll give you a chance so you can open up your Bibles to that place. 1 Timothy 5, 17. The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. In our text, Paul is talking about elders who rule well. There is that ruling aspect of an eldership. They're to be considered worthy of double honor. Double honor in the text in this text, in this context, the double honor is talking about financial pay, salary. Now, we don't normally give our elders a salary. And we might consider, you know, thinking again about that. Uh, but we don't normally give them a salary. But that's in the context what he's talking about. And so, but, but what a double honor is the idea of honor upon honor. Honor upon honor. And um, our elders, the Bible says, if they do well, and every one of them do. I wish that you could glimpse into an elders meeting once or twice and see what goes on and you would be impressed. The care and concern, the weight on their shoulders of your well-being would impress you. And Paul says that they deserve honor upon honor. Now, like I said, we're not giving them money. So I want to challenge you this morning. How will you fulfill this command? How You're not going to give them money. So how will you give them double honor? 
today because they have stood in the gap for you. They have fought the demons. They have stood against the demons and the spiritual forces of wickedness for you. How will you repay them? Well, today, can you at least, can you at least today go up to these men and say thank you? Thank you. It, it always impresses me. My dad is 96 years old, and he wears this cap that says World War II veteran. And everywhere we go together, I mean, we might be sitting at IHOP together, and all of a sudden a stranger will walk up and say, thank you for your service. In war, he stood in the gap, and he's being thanked for standing in the gap. Well, there's a more serious war, because in that physical war, World War II, Vietnam, Korea, and so on, these were physical lives. They've helped protect our physical well-being. There's something more serious than dying physically. That's losing your soul in eternity. And our elders stand in the gap for your soul to protect you to save your soul in eternity, can you at least today give them double honor? If you're not a Christian, I want to invite you to become a Christian. And once you do that, then these men then begin praying for your soul. And they begin then standing in the gap to protect you from the spiritual forces of wickedness. You say, well, yeah. I need that. How do I do that? Well, the Bible says, real, here it is, real simple, real simple. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that his death on the cross will pay for your sins, if you believe that and get baptized with the intention of trying to live for him, then you're saved. You're a Christian. If you haven't done that, we're going to have a song. We're going to stand up. We're going to sing. You can come down here and say, you know, I'd, I'd like to do that. I'd like to do that. And we'll baptize you right here and now. Let's stand and sing.